precious uh, to you and to me. Because I don't know if you've read many scriptures where you see yourself. Uh, you know, as, especially the prophets of old, they, they could get so downright, uh, what can I tell you? They had the biggest pity parties I've ever read. And every now and then I read them and I say, ooh, just like me. Well, I, I think that's why we have in the, uh, in the epistle uh, of James, when he tells us, uh, and let's remember Elijah. And then he says, a man of equal or the same passions as you and I have. Uh, so it's the great man on the hill, but he's just like us. Okay. Now, in, in the answer of John, and, and I like his answer. Let me tell you why I like his answer, folks. I like his answer because by the time John the Baptist gets on the scene, he is seasoned. He's not a new boy on the block. He's not somebody that's got an idea that he's going to throw out and see how it works. He's seasoned. So seasoned that from his mother's womb, matter of fact, it was a prophetic utterance that let Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth know that this boy was coming and what his duties would be and what his work would be, matchless. And when he comes on the scene, I don't know the intricate stories. I just have a, an imagination that literally runs away with me. I mean, I, I go through the Bible and sometimes I see stories that are not written here. I just, I just imagine them. And this is what I imagine. I imagine a boy growing up in his father's house and it's the house of a priest, so it's not a poor house. It's a wealthy house. It's a well-sustained house for no one, but no one, folks, was better fed, better dressed, better cared for than the priesthood of the land of Israel, okay, of, of the Jewish people. And to the day of today, it's about the same. And I could see this boy living in the lavish surroundings of his parents. When I say lavish, I mean comfortable. And, uh, but there was an, uh, I like it in Spanish, un inquietud. Uh, there was a ruffling in his soul. And uh, I, I could see him questioning his father often. Dad, I, I, I know there's something special I've got to do. I, I, I know it. And I could see his father answering. Of course special. You're of the priesthood. You're very special. But there comes a moment when it's more than that much more than that. And all of a sudden, he realizes he must steal away. And he goes off to the wilderness. I don't know if it was Zachariah's uh, uh, will. I don't know if his mom and dad argued with him. I don't know those things. I just imagine them. But I, I can imagine it only because in every genuine call, in every genuine separation of God of a life, there comes a moment when that call is not understood. When that call is simply put aside and, 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 and people say, well, don't get so excited over it. God will take care of it. You don't have to worry about it. And I don't think the fathers like the idea of their little boy, their only little boy, because they never had another little boy like that. This only little boy going off into the wilderness. Son, what are you going to do out there? How are you going to live out there? I, I think there must have been a little jostling there. And I know it 
Because when John appears, he does not appear as a priest's son. He's wild and woolly and, and just looking different. Let me tell you something. Looking different. He's clothed with camel skins and he's got uh, a leather belt around his side. Uh, his diet is completely different. He doesn't sit at banquets. He doesn't drink wine. Uh, he doesn't have a group that follows him. He is, he is alone except for those followers that stand in awe at this strange creature. Almost looking like a hippie. Different from what a religious leader would look like even in his own day. But he had a call of God. And he says, that's where I should be and that's where I'm going to be. And he's off to the wilderness. What happens in the wilderness, we don't know. Folks, I can't say it enough. I can never say it enough. God has a special place to prepare our lives to serve him. Whether it be a wilderness, whether it be your own home. Okay? Because God is a God of tremendous uh, a sense of responsibility. Uh, the, God never goes against his word, folks. Okay? God never goes against his word. There isn't a command that contradicts anything he has stated here. And what is stated, it's, hey, it's, it's established. It's established in heaven, and his word has come forth on the earth. Well, anyway, just before, and you know that they're cousins, him and John and Jesus are cousins. And just before, six months or so, maybe a year before, God gives this boy the green light to leave the wilderness. And I like, I like John. I like everything about him. I like the John that's inquisitive and God tells him you're going to go before the Messiah and you're going to prepare the place uh, and you're going to make the crooked way straight uh, and you are going to be the voice that cries out in the wilderness. John, that's you. And you'll see him. And I like John. I'm going to see him? Yeah. How will I know who he is? I like that. That's our humanity. We got to know. Anybody got to know? I got to know. And he says, well, upon whom you see the Holy Spirit descend as a dove. A dove. That's the one. And with everything set and everything ready and the curtain is open, and after 400 years of silence, prophetic silence, historical silence in the terms of the God's people, he breaks the silence, comes forth with a message simple. Message of repentance. Repent. Why? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. And John is the only one that has that blessed privilege to not only say uh, the kingdom of God is at hand, but it's John that can say, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. So what we're talking about is a, a young man in a unique position to not only announce Messiah, but to present Messiah. Wouldn't any of the prophets of old have wanted that position? It was John's position. But I go back to my original statement. He came out of the desert seasoned. Seasoned. And these are his words. They're so precious. When his buddies try to tell him, don't let anybody get ahead of you. You were here first. Isn't that interesting? And what does John say? No, 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 no. Look, it's convenient for him to grow and for me to just go slipping into a background position. They don't like that. 
because everybody pushes, but how well he knew. And then he says the following, and here's the conviction of what he knew and what I share with you this day. God in heaven appoints each man his work. God in heaven appoints each man's work. Who? From where? There it is. Do you know that, that that's a verse, an unbelievable verse of faith? Do you know how sometimes we push and we shove? Do you know how sometimes we want to get here and get there? And, and how sometimes we, ooh, God appoints. In heaven, he appoints each man at his work. Each man has an appointment from God. I want to say something to you today, folks. Direction is probably, probably the most inescapable need in our world and in our life today. How many have broken day and say, Lord, you've got to lead me. You've got to direct me. I've got to know what to do. Let me see your hands. Come on. Oh, isn't it true? And let me tell you something. Don't walk with me spiritually. Walk with me humanly, which is naturally involves your spirit. But what I'm trying to say is Sometimes people will say, oh, that's in the Bible, and that's for religious people, and that's for people that trust, uh, uh, you know, they, they kind of waiting on a miracle. No, 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 no. Hey, this has to do with life. This has to do with the work of life. This has to do with a God that directs. That has, this has to do with a God that says he knows what each man should do, and he knows the work of each man. And I love that thought. God in heaven appoints each man his work. Now, you say, but, but you know, later on, he got a little shaky. He did. He did. Once again, no heroes, just people that love God. And he calls his disciples when he's put in prison. This is John the Baptist. And says, go ask him if he's the one. Go ask him if he's the one. And then he go to Jesus, and Jesus says, I, I love Jesus' answer. It's so beautiful. Tell him blind eyes are open, and the lame are walking, and the dead are rising, and the lepers are cleansed. Tell them what you see is being done. Just tell him that. Give him that message. He'll understand. And that's the message that goes back to John. I, I once again, let me step out and say, I don't think it was so much a tither or a tether. I don't think it was so much a matter of, uh, uh, well, uh, uh, is he or is he? I, I don't know. You know, this dungeon. Uh, I, I, think there were, I think there were forces, negative forces that made him think. But I think the strength behind it was, I've got a job to do and I'm going to complete that job. If he's the one, my job is done. But if he's not the one, I yet have a job before me. In other words, the, 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 the question is asked because of the knowledge and because of the conviction that God has given each man his work to do. And if I haven't finished that job, I'm going to finish it because God wants me to finish it. That's why when the answer comes back, it's like saying it is finished. John, you did it. I'm here. We've worked together. I'll see you. I'll see you soon. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to take you into the writings of the Apostle Paul when it comes to direction. And in the book of Colossians, uh, those that have your Bible, just open up. And in the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul gives very special emphasis. Uh, 
and, uh, and his emphasis on, on our work. In that very first chapter of Colossians, he says the following, and I love, I love the Apostle Paul because his honesty is also wrapped up in a tremendous amount of weakness. When I say weakness, I simply mean uh, here is uh, a job that has never been done before. Here is a man with a revelation that God's never said it to anyone before. Here is a man about to take upon a work that's been hidden from the angels to reveal the body of Christ, which would be of Gentiles and Jews, or one body. Now that, hey, that's big. And it's the Apostle Paul that in the 24th, in the 24th verse of that first chapter says something to us that's so interesting. But my part, but part of my work is to suffer for you. Wow. We're talking about the direction. We're talking about what God tell, tells people to do. Okay? And he says, but my part, but part of my work is to suffer for you. Now that, I don't, I don't think I'd take on that challenge. I don't think I'd take it on. I, I'd have to say within my own strength, I don't have the strength to suffer for anybody else. I can barely suffer for myself. Say amen. I mean, this is us. But the Apostle Paul is commended by God. He's moved by God. He's touched by God. He's inspired by God. And he knows Jesus. They've met each other on the road. He's been to a few gatherings in heaven. He has seen and knows God's purpose. And he says, my part is to suffer for you. Okay? You see, there, now we're talking about jobs and no one wants. And then let's go on. And what else does he say? In, the, in, in that 28th and 29th verse. So everywhere we go, we talk about Christ to all who will listen. I love that. Here's part of his work. He's talking about his work, folks. Warning them and teaching them as well as we know how. We want to be able to present each one to God. Perfect because of what Christ has done for each of them. We're talking about his work, right? This is my work, and I can do it only because Christ's mighty energy is at work within me. Hallelujah. <laughs> We're getting to the secret, folks. How do you do your work for God? How do you do it? You know how they did it? Both John and Paul, they did it because Christ's mighty energy was at work within them. In terms of John, we've got the man before the cross. We've got the man wrapped up in law. We've got the man subject to law. We've got the man pre-Calvary, before Calvary. But even so, it goes along the same lines. Maybe that's why Jesus said, among those born of women, he's the greatest. Yet among the, those of the kingdom, the least. Let's hope. There, there's a, a simplified interpretation. But oh, how perfect he was in his ministry. And what did he have? He had direction, folks. He had direction. I want to talk to you about direction this morning. I want to talk about where is your direction? We've got a God that gives direction. You say, well, what do I do? Sit there and just, uh, you know, say, all right, Lord, now, now. You know, I used to, when people used to say they were moved by the Spirit, that's the way I thought they moved. You know, I see, uh, move around. And, then, and I, I, it was very perplexing to me. Now, let's go on with what the Scripture tells us. Their fabulous secret, his fabulous secret, 
And I want you to, in Colossians, the 27th verse, we just read it, but I just want to reread it because it, it says something to us. He has kept the secret for, he has kept this secret for centuries and generations past. The secret of the church, the secret of the body of Christ. But now at last it has pleased him to tell it to those who love him and live for him. And the riches and the riches and glory of his plan are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Oh, I love secrets. You feel so important when someone tells you a secret, right? Yeah. Aunque mientan. <laughs> Even if they tell you a lie. Okay? Somebody says, I'm going to tell you something I haven't told anybody else before. All of a sudden, we get all shook out of place, you know. I, I am the special recipient. And this is the secret. Christ in your hearts is your only hope of glory. Isn't that precious? That's our secret. Christ in your heart, your hope of glory. Isn't that simple? Oh, it's so beautiful. Christ in your heart, your only hope of glory. Christ in your heart. You see, that's what it takes. It's not how good you perform here. It's not how strong a member you are of some church. It's not how much of a toy soldier you are uh, to the regulations uh, and, and, and whatever traditions are set before you. No, 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 no. It's Christ in your heart. Christ in your heart. You see, the scripture says, watch out for your heart. Be careful. Why? Because from it flows the issues of life. Okay? And if, it's anybody, if anybody ever taught us about guarding our minds, if anybody ever taught us about guarding uh, that which is intake, I think computer language is so perfect today. Garbage in, garbage out. Isn't it the truth? Have you ever sat through a flick that you know you're taking in garbage and garbage is, uh, uh, what, what can I tell you? And this is why the closer you get to the Lord, you have to start sifting through all the garbage this world has because we don't need it. There's not enough time for the good things, no less the garbage. Christ in your heart is your only hope of glory. Mm, I like that. Nothing else. Oh, Sister Amy, if I had $2 million, that would do it. I read all those lotto signs. I think they're so funny. I think they're so funny. One lady's going to put on three pounds. Did you read that? Yeah, three carrots, right. Three pounds. Oh, well, what can I... Three carrots is probably three pounds. Who knows? I don't know. Another one's going to party. Never stop partying. I just, I just, I just, I just want to take them in my arms, folks. I want to take them in my arms and say, whoa. Another one wants to not watch the limousines take people and drop them off but wants to have his limousine waiting for him. Oh, folks. I think, I think uh, a few wise saying, what is a limo? It's just a ride. Watch out. Okay? Christ in your heart is your only hope of glory. That's the only hope of glory, and I love that. It's the fabulous secret, our only hope of glory. And, and it's, it's so beautiful because the Apostle Paul insinuates, in other words, what does John say? We're talking about law, pre-Christ, in terms of pre-Calvary. What, do, what does he say? God appoints every man his work. Now, what does Paul tell us? This is after Calvary. He simply says, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Hey, if he's inside, he'll take care of everything. 
You watch out for your outside? No, take care of your inside. God will watch out for your outside. Do you know what he said in his word? That he'll shut doors that should not be open to you. you but you've got to, you see, you've got to give him that permission. You've got to give him that total sellout. You've got to tell him it's okay, do what you want. Because he won't do what you do not give him permission to do. People don't realize that. We've got to surrender our permission. You say, well, God is God. I mean, he can do anything he wants. Yes, he can. But God's a gentleman and he won't. Until you surrender, nothing else can happen. Now, would you go with me, please, to Ephesians 6.10. And there we have another moment. And in this, it's only the Living Bible that explains it this clear. And maybe that's why I love it so much. It's a six, the sixth chapter. Christ's mighty energy at work within us. That's the fabulous secret. Christ in us, our hope of glory. Ephesians 6.10. Last of all, in other words, he's given a series of, of uh, wives and husbands and children and parents and slaves and masters. And now he's through with the instructions. And he says, last of all, I want to remind you that your strength, your strength must come from the Lord's mighty power within you. You see? It's not from there to here. It's from here to here. Okay? Because if you're expecting it from there to here, that's magical. He doesn't work in magic. That's Superman. That's Spider-Man. Okay? That's Batman and Robin. He doesn't work that way. He doesn't show up when you snap your fingers or go into a telephone booth. He doesn't do that. It's the mighty power of God within you. Whoa. What does that mean? It means you got to take in a lot of Jesus. You got to take in a lot of him in quiet times. You got to take in a lot of him in Bible reading. You've got to take a lot of him in uh, in times of praise and worship. You've got to drink him in. Uh, you've got to tell him you love him. Uh, you've got to share your soul and your spirit with him. Uh, you've got to bear your soul to him. Uh, he understands. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Oh, but I'm not like you people. I'm not spiritual. I'm not religious. I, I really don't take on all the... That doesn't mean... You see, let me tell you something. When you go to Jesus, he doesn't compare you with me. He doesn't compare me with you. He doesn't. You stand as an individual. Remember that circle I'm always talking about? Relationship with God, it's just you and him, no one else. There are no husbands there. There are no boyfriends there. There are no children's there, children there, and there are no pastors there. There are no intercessors there. Just you and God. No one else. No one else. And that's, believe it or not, that's beautiful. The Lord's mighty power within us. Uh, last of all, I want to remind you that your strength must come from the Lord's mighty power within you. And then he goes on to explain how the mighty power gets within you. You put on God's armor to be able to stand safe against the strategies and tricks of Satan. Let me deal with some of the tricks of Satan. Number one trick of Satan, you're alone. No one cares. You got to make it alone. Do what's good for numero uno. You're in charge. So watch out. Be, 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 be strong for yourself. Think only of yourself. Oh, 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 what else does he tell us? Hold still. 
Satan feeds our insecurities. You say, oh, I'm nothing. And Satan comes back to you, you better believe you're nothing. Matter of fact, you're worse than nothing. You're nothing, nothing, nothing. Yeah. And that's why anybody approaches you and say, hey, would you teach Sunday school? Uh, uh, would you sit with our children? Uh, uh, would you help us in, a, in this or in that? Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I really can't. I'm, I'm, I'm not prepared. And the enemy's saying, you, you aren't prepared. You really aren't prepared. You're not prepared for anything. I mean, you're scared of your own shadow. That's Satan. That is Satan. Listen to me carefully. He says one thing. No one cares. And that's why it's so good to hear Jesus say, I love you. I love you. I love you. I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. I'll be there till the end of times. And when the winds of life beat and the storms, I'm in your boat. I may be a little asleep, but wake me up. I'm there. I'm there for you. I'm there. And I love that. I love that thought. Now, let's, 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 let's talk about direction. I don't want anybody to think that we're talking direction only in terms of the spiritual. Because this is where some people hang up the gloves and say, no, I don't belong in that category. So don't, don't, don't even talk to me about, uh, you know, being a missionary or being an evangelist or being a... I, I, hey, that's not, that's, not my, that's not my thing. I'll never be that. You don't have to worry. No one's calling you. Don't even worry about it. You'd be surprised. I grew up in a Pentecostal church and some of the kids wouldn't go to the altar because if the power of God fell on them and if they were blessed, when they got up, they had to say, I'm going to, be, I'm go, I'm going to Bible school. I'm going to get myself ready for, 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 for a missionary. I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going. And the kids used to say, I don't want. one little kid looked at me and said, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a doctor. Another little boy said, I want to be an engineer. Do I build bridges for Jesus? I mean, he was, you know, he didn't know. Let me share what Jesus says. His disciples says, we don't know where you're going. And we don't know the way. So why do you say that we know when we don't know? And Jesus says, I am the way. You know, he could have said, I'm the truth and the life and the way. He could have said that. I love the order in which it comes. I am the way. I am the way. My good people, not only is he the way, can I share something with you? He's the exclusive way. There is no other way. There is no other way. Jesus is the way. And let me tell you something. It's the way given by God for men. And now I'm going to take you into a world that maybe you've never been there before, but I've got to take you there. It's that outside world. It's that world of tremendous complications. It's that world you move in when you drive your buses. It's the world you move in when you go to school every day. It's the world you move in uh, when you've got to hop the subways and get down. Uh, It's the world you move in when you move into your hospitals and the places where you work. Okay? That world out there, that Satan, as the liar that he is, claims it's his. And he is a liar. Because the world and all that they're in, God made it. And he made it for one purpose, for himself and for us. That's what he made it for. 
And I'm telling you now, and I will say it loud and clear. God has a way for you in this life. God has a way for you in your daily life. God has a way for you in your job. God has a way for you in your dreams and in your hopes. God has a way for you. The only thing about dreams and hopes, the only thing about it is that he's got to be. That's why we started off uh, with the hope of glory. The hope of glory within us is who Christ. Now, if Christ is in his proper place, if Christ is king of your life, if Christ is Lord uh, and, and, and master of your existence, if he is everything, then I'm going to tell you something. He's going to take you by the hand and he's going to lead you to places you've never been led before. He's going to open doors that have never been opened for you before. He's going to take you before great, high, and mighty people. He may take you to some very humble places. He may move you into some places that you never dreamt you could even move before. But can I tell you something? He will go with you. I share this with you. That world out there belongs to God. And it's up to us, the Christians, to conquer it. And when I say conquer it, I don't mean we're going to put on tin cans and put on a hat and get some kind of makeshift sword and walk out there and, and look like Don Quixotes on Castle Hill Avenue. That's not going to be us. You know who we will be? We will be people that will be filled with the Spirit of God. We will be people that are touched by the energies and the life flow and the love flow from Calvary. We will be people so permeated with his grace that we will know what he wants us to do. And if you don't know what he wants you to do, he will give you direction. Wherever you are, be a blessing. Be a blessing. God has placed you there. And as you get to know him, he will...